Hello, everyone. This is the Network Collective Community Roundtable. So every few years, the industry takes a significant step towards a more holistic and capable security model. I mean, at the beginning of networking, everything and everyone was trusted, and for good reason. You knew every operator and every machine that was connected to the network. But as networks have become more ubiquitous, that level of trust is simply unreasonable. So we've built firewalls and differing levels of inspection, but all of those tools still allow for some implicit level of trust between a machine and those machines closest to them. That's changing though, and that is what we're here to talk about today. The newest trend in security is the concept of zero trust. And while it's suffering the common plight of any new trend with multiple vendors trying to shape the definition, removing implicit trust in our networks is the next logical step towards a truly secure infrastructure. So if you hang on for just a moment, we'll be right back with today's episode. So before getting started, I wanted to thank NVIDIA for sponsoring today's episode. NVIDIA is the leader in open networking, not just in hardware and software, but end-to-end and at all layers of your networking stack. We'll be sharing more about what they are doing in the networking space later on in the episode. So joining us today is returning guest, Daryl Clute. Uh, Daryl, for those who don't know you, uh, can you share a bit about what you do? Name is Daryl Clute. I'm an uh, infrastructure architect. Um, Primarily network engineering and Unix engineering in the background. Um, over the past couple of years, have been involved with a n- number of initiatives moving infrastructure to a zero trust model. So I've known Daryl for a long time. That's probably the most humble way he could probably explain what he does. And I appreciate that. No one wants to talk themselves up. Daryl does everything and he does it well. So I'm excited to have him here because I know uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation and specifically having Daryl on it for quite some time. Uh, also joining us today is first-time Network Collective guest, Steve McNutt. I've known about Steve for a long time. But this is the first time we're actually having a having a conversation. It's pretty cool. So thanks for coming on the show. And can you share a bit about yourself? Sure. So I'm a, I'm a systems architect. So that means that I, I'm pretty broad. You know, I cover a lot of things. Networking, systems, compute, security, just basically all the stuff. And uh, I've been in this business for about 25 years. So um, that means I'm also probably old. But yeah, so that's <laughs> what I do. I think all of us are are worthy of that title to some degree. We're right. <laughs> yeah. talking about networking at so, any type of level. Yeah, I think that we all qualify as old to somewhat. I was going to say, I think Steve is like a OG CCIE. He's got the four-digit Oh, CCIE you got number. one of the fancy numbers. Yeah, I even got the. I even I even have my shirt because I just you know I had to wear it. <laughs> oh, okay, so I would I would be really impressed if you brought out the bomber jacket. Right, <laughs> no, not quite that that low of a number, huh? I'm, I'm not that OG. No bomber jacket. <laughs> no bomber jacket. I see a couple of plaques behind you. Uh, you can't see them obviously in the recording, but yeah. Uh, and also the very cool Lego Saturn V kit, which I absolutely love. It's sitting behind yeah. me. As well, all right. So Steve, I want to pick on you a little bit since you're the new guy. Uh, or the OG, I'm not sure. Is it right called the OG, the new guy? <laughs> I don't but, know how uh, that but works. We're going to call on you first. And, and uh, so I think we should start, like what exactly are we talking about when we talk about zero trust? I, I kind of alluded to the idea that there might be some identity um, issues going on with what it actually is. I don't know if I call it issues, but there's some varying understandings of what zero trust means. I'd love your take. Okay, yeah, because you know, it's interesting. If you go and just start Googling zero trust, what you're going to find is mostly people talking about what is what it's not. And I'm not sure why that is. There's there's some kind of like language issue with describing it. But my non-academic way of looking at it is the, the goal of zero trust is to move the authorization verdict as close to the endpoint 
as you possibly can and to make it as dynamic as you possibly can. And when I mean endpoint, I mean both ends of the conversation. That was your non-academic version of that? Yeah, it sounded awfully specific. The wording was very exact, and I think it's probably a pretty good way of doing it. The authorization, some fancy word, I forget what you said. Yeah, Uh, enforcement. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. as close to the as close to the endpoint as possible. We want to know whether or not this traffic should be allowed. Very, very close to where it originates from. Right, as close as you can get it. Make that trust as that tiny gap as small as you can possibly make it rather than just making it on some arbitrary boundary. And if you get through, you're good. I mean, that's been our traditional challenge, right? Is that our filtering capabilities have always been on a routing boundary. Like that, it, it was either, you know, either at the edge of our network, which is where things were many years ago, right? Like we only put filtering at the edge of our networks as we brought filtering into the network, they still were on layer three boundaries. And so if you had a large layer two domain or you had, uh, you know, a, uh, uh, you had two things sitting in the same segment that needed to be filtered. That was a challenging proposition. You either needed to do host-based firewalls, you needed to do something out of the norm than what your traditional firewall would do to get filtering on those devices. Does that sound correct? You know, I'm going to, my, here's my hot take. And my hot take is it, I think I would argue that it's, it's another case of asking to the network to solve a problem that should have been solved by application in the first place. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. I think, you know, like we, we run into these things where they, we solve it in the network because the network is central, but that doesn't mean it's the best place to solve it. What it means is it's the least distributed place to solve it. We have this issue with distributed policy enforcement, this idea of being able to spread things out. Cause when you talk about like, where did you, where should we really solve this? If we want, you know, security, then zero trust, we should have host-based firewalls that are maintained incredibly well. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, I mean, like at the yeah. end of the day, we've, and we've been able to do host-based firewalls forever. <laughs> we put an ACL on that nick and off we go and we're pretty good. Um, but who wants to manage a unique firewall config on every device? So so I want to ask kind of a um, an uneducated question, right? I don't come from a zero trust background. I've never implemented this personally. But when I heard you say you want to move the, the authorization, I think, enforcement as close to the endpoint as you can, I'm wondering what about NAC? Does network access control become uh, part of the zero trust models, or is that zero trust in itself? Because because you can well, do that sort of thing. So, so I don't know. Can you guys help me out with that? So NAC means that you have some sort of implicit trust there. The whole point with zero trust is you're moving away from implicit to explicit trust, and you're also readjusting your risk profile. You're going from an implicit risk profile management to an explicit management. Can you expound on where the implicit trust is in an ACK model? So the implicit trust means, uh, when you're talking about a simple, most NAC implementations, they're not actually, they have the capability, but they're not actually profiling the client machines that are trying to authenticate to the network. So, so, so you're, you're having, talking, you know, simplistic uh, yeah, simplistic, 90% of the implementations, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you think that NAC could eventually, or uh, a more thoroughly implemented, there's not a place of implicit trust if someone has to actually authenticate against this? I, I It's possible, but it's not ideal. The whole goal with zero trust is that you don't need to treat your network, the network that your users attach to 
any different regardless of what network it is. Because the you know, network doesn't give you that implicit that. trust. Right. Like the idea of the, the whole concept of inside and outside is gone, right? Like, right. like that, that's one of like the hallmarks of whether or not you're doing zero trust right is my machine should be able to be at a Starbucks, be on VPN, or be connected to my local LAN, and it gets traded the exact same way. You know, I would like to actually take that on a little bit because this is an interest. This is an interesting point. If a purist would say, which is a, like a beyond core type proponent, a purist would say you should just look at the network as like 100% hostile. It's always trying to kill you. Doesn't matter whether you own it or whether it's somebody else's network. You just you don't trust it. I'm not sure that's very pragmatic. It might be pragmatic if you're Google and you have unlimited resources. I think a more pragmatic approach is to look at what tools are available to you in a specific use case. For example, in a campus network where you have complete control over everything, you can do a lot of useful things with NAC. You can do dynamic authorization and you can take in like all kinds of inputs and stuff, right? And, it, and it's, you can do some really great things with it. But if you've got remote workers that are accessing SaaS applications, NAC is kind of, there's no point to it, right? It's not, it's not a tool that's available to you. And, you, and I'm, you wouldn't even want to use Radius on the internet because it's like unencrypted, right? So you have to you have to pick the tools that make the most sense based on what assets you have and what what you're trying to protect. So that that's kind of my take on it. I I, I think a more pragmatic approach is is called for for most enterprises. Uh, and calling up Beyond Corp there and saying that that's that everything else is more pragmatic. Beyond Corp actually calls out that to some extent because there's different access to different systems may require different levels of trust. Um, and those higher levels of trust require higher levels of scrutiny of who, what, and the device that they're attaching from, potentially even where they're attaching from, goes into the ability to trust that to be able to perform that function. Um, so I don't think that it's at odds with the Beyond Corp paper or the principles set forth there, I think that most people gloss over that when they're talking about it from a purist standpoint. Um, Taking security to a good extreme? Shocking, <laughs> really. I mean, it's not like we haven't done that forever. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, so that's, that's an interesting concept. So, I mean, like you say that not everything gets treated the same uh, when it comes to implicit versus explicit trust. Um, so, so, I mean, I'm trying to make this like practical, what, what would be something that would be treated with absolutely zero implicit trust and something that maybe has some implicit trust? Like what are some examples on a typical enterprise network or something that we can point to? So, um, when I think of something that would have some sort of implicit trust, think of a company's internal wiki or SharePoint site in a zero trust model where you're exposing that to the public internet and having your authorization at the gateway point that are at the entry point that the clients access that, everybody in the company should have access to that because it's an internal resource that is for every employee. So there you have an implicit trust that your authenticated user, doesn't matter what device you're attaching from, you have access to that. Now, whether or not you're able to download something from that may have a different authorization level on it so that it's a company-owned asset versus an employee-owned asset. Um, so that's where you get into more complicated, um, authorization levels, just using that example. 
That's interesting. And maybe something we should explore a little bit more because there you're talking about the person or actually really the end device. I trust the person. And do I need to care about the device they're connecting from? Mm -hmm. And so there's really a couple levels of trust in here that we're talking about. It's not just device to device. We say, if this is something that's available to all of my users and I don't really care about which device they're accessing it from because there's a low risk profile or something that has a different, different profile of security than if it's something that is like, this is a trade secret, uh, secret recipe, your Coke or whatever, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and you don't want the recipe to disappear, only specific machines and specific people. We're authenticating both the person and the device against the service or whatever it is they're trying to get. And so they just, is it three models there? Is it like the thing they're trying to access, the thing they're trying to access from and the person? So I, I think um, I've seen a couple of different terms used. It, so it gets a little confusing. So the, the two terms I see commonly used are subject. So, so that's a composite identity, right? That's the, that's the device and it's the user and it's the resource they're trying to access, right? So that's a, that's a and sometimes I've, I've heard it called an agent. I think subject is a better term than agent, but you'll see them used interchangeably. Well, I think agent comes with all kinds of connotations of other things, right? right? Like that's exactly. a re it would be a fine enough term if we didn't already use it in 20 different other ways, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I agree. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. So, I mean, a, the methods here have to be different. Uh, validating a machine is different than validating a user. Uh, so when we talk about zero trust, like, well, how does that play in? Dale, you want to take a first crack at it? <laughs> I just <laughs> asked the question that nobody wants to answer. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see how to, phrase, how to address that. Because, I mean, people traditionally, right, have been authenticated via like login, I have to log mm -hmm. in or I have two factors right. of login. Yeah. I have something I know, something I have yeah. um, in the more current model. A machine's not that way. I can't do the same thing with that. Right. So when you start to worry about the machine, then you have a an asset. So let's use a reverse proxy as an example. And you're using, utilizing a reverse proxy, which is handling your authorization and your authentication. That's tied into SSO. So you get single sign-on services. So you've authenticated, and you've probably already authenticated to some other service that you've already, that's already company-owned, and so you don't need to re-authenticate. You already have your authentication session. It authorizes you based on your profile in the directory that the single sign-on is being sourced from. Now, there are some... Um, this is when we start talking about agent-based software. So if it's a um, client, if it is a company-owned asset and it, an authorized company-owned asset, typically they'll have an agent on there and that will be feeding back to some piece of software that can give information as to whether or not that device that you're connecting from is the device associated with that session. Um, now, in the absence of an agent, there are some other ways that some of that profiling can be done in line with the session, depending on what protocol we're talking about um, and what um, I drawing a blank on any of the implementations that are currently out there. Um, I know that the Beyond Corp paper does talk about that to some extent, but then you can have that assert or be able to take inventory and see if it's a company-owned asset, to ascertain if it's a company-owned asset or if it's an employee-owned asset. Um, and depending on the business and the 
um, risk profile, it can then be tied into authorization as to whether or not those various actions are authorized from an employee-owned asset or a company-owned asset. Or in some organizations, they're, they are some of the organizations that are actually working with zero trust nowadays are not even dealing with company-owned assets. Um, it's all employee-owned assets with um, reduced profiles. I'm thinking of uh, GitLab hat to some extent does that. Um, they may they um, provision the device for you, but it's yours and not the company's long term. I have a I have a question sort of coming from uh, uh, something that I've heard you say a, a couple of times uh, since we've started here, and that's a risk profile. I wonder if you can sort of talk a little bit about risk profile um, and, and sort of what that means and and how, how do I how do I assess the risk of a device or a person or something? You know, I, you know, how is that made? Where is that? Where does that come from? So when you're assessing the risk profile, obviously there's backend business level risk policy that you have to assert in some fashion. And then you take in all these heuristics from the various um, components that are involved. Mm-hmm. And then you can apply the calculate the risk profile and then apply whether or not that meets the authorization for that access. Um, now, as far as specifics on that, I haven't dealt with any specifics on that. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as specific software or agent implementations that have dealt with that, um, the Beyond Core paper does go into that. I know that um, Duo has some of that capability. Cloudflare is working on extending a lot of that capability um, with their recently announced Cloudflare One and extending beyond just their access and stuff. So, so, so risk profile is sort of a a, a composite profile derived from uh, the person's level of risk, I guess, the device's level of risk, and maybe the the traffic or the or the resource they're trying to access level of risk, and then pol- dynamic policy is derived from that. And, and and enforced in some way is is that what that is? That's the risk profile is sort of the the mashup of all of the information they can get from the the person, the device, and the resources they're trying to access. Yeah, that's a very good way of. Am I understanding that, that properly? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I think to give you like a simple, concrete example would be a posture, right? I think probably most of us are familiar mm-hmm. with what what a posture policy is. So you, if you have a high value asset that you know, you need to be very careful about how what you're allowing access to. You would you would require that the device has antivirus software on it, that it's been patched, that uh, you know all of the all of these different checks that are required. You would require the user to have multi-factor authentication so that they can prove that they, that they do they are who they say they are. So you have to have all those things taken together in order to be granted access. And so that, and then there's, you can feed more information sources into it. You can use threat intelligence. You can use behavioral indicators. Like for example, if a device suddenly starts, is, is authorized initially, and then it suddenly starts trying to communicate with a bunch of other devices and that's outside of baseline, that's an indicator. And you would probably, you would, you would want to have a system that could revoke authorization at that point. And then you would have an alert and then the SOC would get involved and investigate and find out what's going on. So there's a dynamic aspect to it as well. 
So, so I'm very interested in in this, like like as you just described, it sounds like there are many systems talking to systems, asking other systems for information in mm. this whole model, right? It's a system of systems. It's and, a bunch. And, mm-hmm. and actually, a, in the sh- in the show notes, I put in there that that sort of scares me. You know, mm. ha- having all of these systems that need to work together to be able to allow basic network access is is frightening to me for most organizations. So. What kind of organizations need to should run a zero trust model? And, and I guess maybe I'm asking that question incorrectly. Well, why is a do, zero is a zero trust model something that organizations should be going after? Is is that is that is that the model that that everyone should be chasing, or or is it just sort of a a, a fit for some? Well, I'd like to clarify something slightly on that. So, yeah. um, for you mentioned um, basic network access. When, when we're talking about a zero trust model, basic network access to generalized non-sensitive resources is usually not in scope. Okay, no, I appreciate the, uh, putting that out there because, um, especially when because about- I sort of think of zero trust as enforcing all of that from basic network access to to access to uh, no. uh, uh, privileged information. I, I no, think of no. it as everything in between. No, so mm. so when we talk when when I talk a zero trust model, it's if you have a corporate network, treat it like Starbucks, treat the user's home network like Starbucks, treat them accessing the any resource as if they're from Starbucks. Right, the whole every the network is hostile, as, as Steve brought out earlier, and is brought out um, numerous times in the Beyond Core paper. What we are validating and what we are adding that additional authorization onto is access to internal company resources that the general public would not have access to. Um, so it's not just getting to the internet while you're on the corporate network, right? Um, so, so that's for the first clarification. Um, but now when, when you talk about, we are still talking about most of your internal applications. Yes. It, it would be, it would be very hard to say this internal application, which is not public in any way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. I don't really care. You know, like, like we're, so we're still talking about most of your internal infrastructure. You're right to the internet, maybe not to your DHCP server, right? Like we're not going to get in this in the way of those very fundamental components of the network because right. they need to be there. But the moment you start accessing data, this is the point where we start authenticating who you are. Correct. Right. And, and you have to be careful about the concept of, again, having those trust zones, because even if you, you think you're fairly secure and you've got sort of these compartments of various levels of access, there's a lots of opportunity for an attacker to set up a kill chain. My, as as Daryl was talking, he says, treat it like Starbucks. And my first thought is, yeah, I deploy a printer at Starbucks. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> like print that would be possibly retrieved in a Starbucks. No, I can't do that. And now all of a sudden, I'm like, there's data there that I don't want easily accessible. Like, all of a sudden, that matters. And so that's why I said, like, a, you know, we say it's not everything, but it's going to be a large amount of what we consider our traditional enterprise internal infrastructure and i'm definitely you know every time i talk about talk coming from an enterprise perspective there's always different models right service providers are gonna have a very different you know understanding around what this is or if even if it's relevant versus cloud providers versus whatever but i think we're talking mostly users in offices accessing data of some kind yeah 
As we mentioned at the top of the show, NVIDIA is sponsoring today's episode. NVIDIA is the leader when it comes to open networking, and one of the things that differentiates them is a focus on automation. At its core, NVIDIA Cumulus Linux extends Linux to make it a fully featured networking operating system. This means that there is native integration with common and well-tested automation tools, with no need for translation into any sort of proprietary management interface, unifying the tools and processes established for Linux server management to manage your network devices as well. Now, that alone is a huge step forward when compared to other solutions in the market, but NVIDIA takes it one step further by offering the first fully packaged, production-ready, open-source, push-button automation solution. This makes open networking easier to deploy and manage, enabling infrastructure-as-code models free from disparate, untested scripts and proof-of-concept playbooks. Now, one of my favorite capabilities of NVIDIA Cumulus is the ability to fully simulate your environment. With NVIDIA's operating system being built on Linux, it's made specifically to run on x86 infrastructure and modeling your network to validate new automation processes or changes in your environment is both easy and reasonable to accomplish. Now, if all this sounds interesting to you, you can experience NVIDIA Cumulus in the cloud for free. Head on over to cumulusnetworks.com slash ncpod. Again, that's cumulusnetworks.com slash ncpod. There's two aspects when we traditionally talk about zero trust models. And the first model is the one that we seem to be focusing on the most, which is the end user and their access to internal company resources. The other one is the data center or the back office type communication. And in so that let's model, that. let's take a step back. Cause I think we've gotten too far ahead of ourselves. <laughs> let's talk about what the approaches are. Like, what do they look like? Let's talk about what an infrastructure might look like. If you were implementing it, you know, what are some of the ways to get, to get there? What are some of the tools you're going to use? Cause we've mentioned, we've mentioned beyond corp multiple times in which that's an agent based um, you know, on the machine, that's the stringent one that we're talking about, but not everything is that way, right? Like I see firewall vendors making claims about, about what they can do from a zero trust model. I still have all kinds of hesitancy, hesitancy around a firewall being zero trust just because of traditionally what we've been able to do. But let's talk about that. Steve, you have some notes in here about some different architectures in our, in our show notes. I'd like to just, let's just run through those quick. Okay, cool. And I would really love to hear Daryl's like, hot take on these there you go okay so 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 the first one is like the one that's like really are you that's not zero trust but hear me out so the so basically the, the there's my perception after doing like way too much reading on this stuff is there's really three high level approaches to implementing this sort of strategy and the first and one and the the oldest one and the one that was actually the font pr presented by the guy who coined the term zero trust and wrote the original paper on zero trust, right, is big honking firewall. That's not what he called it. He called it segment universal segmentation gateway or something kind of sci-fi sounding. <laughs> but it's but it's really just big honking firewall. And the, the idea, his like, big idea. So he he wrote this. John Kinderbeck wrote this amazing document that defined the problem space. Uh, you know, and it, to this day, that document is like the Rosetta Stone. I mean, he just, it's a wonderful document. It's the, the No More Chewy Centers PDF. You can Google it and find it. And you're reading it, and you're like, this guy, this is amazing. He talks about the insider threats teaming up with cyber criminals and all this great stuff. 
Then he comes up with the second document that's going to, that's his, his solution. And his solution is he takes your firewall that's sitting out on the perimeter and he kicks your core routers out of the network and just plops a monster ass firewall in the middle. And that's why I call it big honking firewall. So his idea was he just take all these network segments and hook him, hook them up to a gigantic firewall. And, and I'm like, that's it. I mean, okay. So, so, so to me, I know you didn't ask for my high, my hot take, but you're about to get it. <laughs> to me, this is not. This, this is traditional firewalling. What we've done is we've created however many segments, add those up, that's how many unique networks you have now. Because yep. you okay. only have filtering at the boundary. I now, say, if this is zero trust, I've been implementing zero trust since I started networking. Right. <laughs> now, <laughs> in, the, in the show notes, you have macro segmentation there. Now, so I do see this falling somewhere between macro and micro segmentation. Now, where this has applicability is inside of, and this is as a um, layer and not the only thing, obviously, but this would be inside of a traditional data center or inside of a, a pop, physical pop, as opposed to, um, say, cloud native networking. And that would be, that mini segmentation where you have a segment that is tied to a specific application. And for that application to talk to any other application, it still has to route through. So mm -hmm. you get, it's not macro segmentation because you're not talking is. about. So, so this is, this is my definition. So, I mean, I think it's very important to get these terms, you know, at least a common understanding amongst the four of us on this call. <laughs> macro segmentation to me is, is segmenting at the L3 boundary. That's what, that's when I have to route. That's, that's macro segmentation. Micro segmentation is when I can do filtering within that. Micro segmentation says within an L2 broadcast domain, I can still filter between those two devices. That to me is the definition of when micro segmentation begins. Right. So if we just make our broadcast domains smaller and application specific, we're still having to design our entire IP scheme, architecture, routing scheme, all of that stuff around the filtering scheme. Which is not a problem, but it's still macro segmentation. We're still we have a block, a unit that we cannot filter within. Right, and, and that's why I typically, I usually when I classify things using macro segmentation, it's the traditional large networks with multiple applications on them. Micro segmentation is good when we start talking about the nothing talks to each other directly without going through some sort of trust point then mini segmentation is where we start talking about the per application networking. So it's in between macro and. So you add, you add a third layer that I don't usually yeah. hear thrown around and yeah. that's, that's mini, which, which to me is what is typically micro. Um, yeah. And, and it, it's okay. Just as long as we have an understanding of what you're talking about, because <laughs> yep. what you've done is you, you just have made smaller segments, which I guess is technically micro segmentation, but it is, you know, it's a different approach to the word. Right. And, and so this is a, a layering, right? You're, you're using, you're taking aspects of micro segmentation and aspects of macro segmentation and bringing them together. So you have a application on each of these segments, but that application may actually be made up of several application servers. And in the micro segmentation model, those can't talk directly, but they're on the same L2 segment in the mini segmentation model. But that's at that, the big honking firewall layer not necessarily right. the, the host-based layer. Right, and I, I agree with you that just because we're talking about zero trust or these options doesn't necessarily mean that we negate the need for a firewall sitting between segments. 
Right. That may still need to be there depending on what your, your strategy is. Or right. compliance requirements or yeah. various other aspects too. And my, my argument for using this is you've got a, a company like a medium-sized company and they've got a classical data center, right? They're not running a fabric yet or anything. They're just running, running VLANs and spanning tree and all that. And they just, you know, they've got their database application web. They got a bunch of stuff in a bunch of different VLANs. And to be honest, if, if, if you just need to get them some help quick so that they're not just going to have ransomware, go ransack their data center and bring them down in 15 minutes. This is a quick, affordable solution that you don't need a lot of expertise to manage. So it can be it can be a really good way to get some get somebody some help and, and at least get them started and and, and get them helps, some protection. It helps down the path towards a zero yeah, trust model. I, I would reframe yeah. that. It is a healthy step. It is not in any way zero trust. I would. <laughs> I said I a step would, towards. <laughs> right. I, I, I would agree, but I, I I felt like I had to put it in there because the guy who invented zero trust promoted this as the first solution. <laughs> so we got this you know. big honking firewall. So like, <laughs> I, I'm going to put big honking firewall in every show note from now on, whether it's relevant or not. <laughs> Well, so I, was just, I was looking at his diagram and it's hilarious. You look in the PDF and this firewall takes up like half of the page and he's got all these little segments connected to it. And it's hilarious. The size is to measure it with the cost there. Firewall is going to be pretty expensive. Uh, so, so we, whether we call it micro segmentation or mini segmentation as Daryl put it out, this is where we get to the sub L3 boundary. Right. right. I think this is the this is the next architecture in here, right? This would be right. Cisco Land Trust Sec where we're tagging traffic and there we're we're doing identity. So it doesn't really we don't need to hit an L3 boundary. We can we essentially filtering on the switch um right. to, to ensure that things that aren't supposed to talk to each other aren't talking to each other. Um there are other things. These are well, this is what happens in fabrics when we do overlays and we do some sort of identity based filtering, right? Like Right. Yeah, overlay. Yeah. We're, we're putting some, right. We're injecting some metadata into the traffic that allows us to make decisions at the switching level, at the, at the port level. And this has been uh, micro segmentation, even though it sits kind of at the middle tier of what we're talking about here, has been a traditionally very difficult thing for organizations to implement because it requires a comprehensive level of knowledge about what is traversing between in devices. And I think that this, this here is the story, not only for this, but also for, when we get into the agent based ones, you have to know what's allowed. Right. And that, this that's, is, that's the whole battle, right? Like, like in all mm -hmm. of this, the technology that implements it, whether you're talking about macro, micro, mini, or agent-based or whatever, the technology itself all makes sense. And implementing a policy based off of a known set of requirements is, is not the hard lift. The hard lift is usually the discovery. Well, I would even say this is at this this is the point when you you're at the level of sophistication where automation is a requirement, and automation is hard, and it's expensive. And I would go beyond automation and say orchestration. Okay. Um, because even with the big honking firewall, you're likely to at that level if you're using that as your zero trust model. <laughs> A very generous use of air quotes there. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to point out Tony's not the only is the only one who hasn't said big honk and firewall yet. I'm paying attention, Tony. <laughs> I better hear it. Um, but even at that level, you need to know what your application profiles are for off segment. When you start getting into the micro segmentation level, then you need to worry about what is necessary for intra-application servers to talk to each other as well. 
especially on the data center side. And when we're talking about these, a lot of times we're talking about these from a data center or a cloud specific side. We're not talking about the end user because the end user passes through the, everything to get to this. So we're not, so we're not even talking yeah. about the, the campus. The network. odds are very highly likely that we have an L3 boundary between the user and the application, meaning that we can apply this filtering somewhere else. Right. Yeah. No, I agree. Cause I mean, this is where the port list kind of gets crazy. Like, I mean, I, I can think of some applications and things that I've deployed in the past. Um, I won't call out names because it's probably not very nice. But I mean, just like, okay, you have, yeah, the outside to inside port is this one port and it does a bunch of translation. But then between this device and the other, other internal devices, like it's randomized ports that are, you know, <laughs> could, could come out in any range of 65,000, you know, unique port numbers as the source. Destination could be one of 150 destination ports and they could be running TCP or UDP. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I'm like, well, I just allowed three quarters of the traffic through. Why not? I, I just not, allow it all. Yeah. I'm not sure, but that sounds like a video conferencing application. Uh, it was voice. That's what I had in mind. You're not far off. <laughs> because I, I recently did one and I got, uh, I was uh, implementing a big honking firewall. Ding, ding, ding. There's the bell. There's the bell. There's the bell. And I had to permit a video conferencing thing through. And I said, you know, well, give me the list of ports and protocols and stuff. And it was like four pages long. And at, and at the end of it, I'm like, if I don't start specifying specific hosts with these, I'm allowing everything through. And what's the point, you know? So uh, so that sounded very familiar when you were describing that. <laughs> All right. So so we big honk of firewall, lots of little firewalls or a fabric type filtering solution. And the last one's the one we've been talking about, I think, kind of, you know, as we talk about a lot of this stuff. And that's something with an agent. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's several solutions on here. So we've talked about beyond court, but I mean, there's, there's a lot coming out with this idea of zero trust network architecture. Um, as we see things like CASB and SASE <laughs> taking more prevalent roles. I hate that acronym, by the way, I saw you both smirk and I want to smirk every time I say it. <laughs> Thank you, Gartner. Um, yeah. Um, anyway, don't get me on that on that soapbox. But uh, the uh, as as Casby and Sassy come out and become more prevalent, they're very well positioned to provide like a brokering yeah. service for something like this. Mm -hmm. And so we see more and more vendors who are there. And so when I talk about brokering, the idea is I have an agent on my laptop and there's no sense of internal. When I go to access a resource, I'm actually requesting something from the broker and the broker makes the connection in the middle. There's nothing like VPN. There's nothing like that. There's something that has to match up both sides and the client can request but the server can't initiate. Like it's a very specific model and we're seeing a lot of that come out as well. Um, and, and, but it requires agents on every machine, which is now a, a very distributed model, right? Like we say, yeah. mm -hmm. we're getting lots of information, but machine-based agents make me a little nervous. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> like, uh, mm -hmm. I mean, like from a yes. security perspective, it makes sense. I think we're headed that direction. But like, the amount of in, the, the amount that that has to know about your machine and all mm -hmm. the things that you're doing, it almost just seems like we're just moving the vulnerability point from the application to the agent. Because I mean, everything's vulnerable, right? <laughs> like I know they're writing them to be secure, but everything is vulnerable. So, you know, my actually my biggest concern with it, and, and you're right. I mean, this it's the way things are, the direction things are headed. You've got these these 
companies with these big data lakes and you're connecting them all together with APIs, right? That's kind of what it's starting to look like now. And that's how you're gathering all this intelligence to make these, develop these composite entities and make these complex decisions. But in the process of doing that, you're gathering an immense amount of data about the devices and the people that are using them. And, you know, in the United States, nobody really seems to care about individual privacy, which sort of sucks, but... No, 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 no. Steve, 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 please. Yeah. <laughs> we care about individual privacy. The companies that we use don't right. care about our privacy. Right. So there's a... But in, country, in countries where they are trying to do something with about individual privacy, like GPDR countries, this is a very difficult problem to wrestle with because... There's more than one party at the table, right? You've, you've, you're trying to protect the data of your customers, but you're also trying to protect the personal privacy of the employees of the workers. And at the same time, the, the company is just trying to, they don't want to get breached and you know have their data held for ransom. So it's an extraordinarily difficult problem to work with. You know, how, how does the company protect itself without violating the privacy rights of its workers and getting in all kinds of trouble, you know, with Germany or whatever. So that's where I see is, is that's going to, I think, going to be an emerging problem as these agents become more common. And we're having this conversation to go back to Sassy and, and Casby with, with these ideas of like gateway security solutions. It's not even just the agent, but it's like, where is that agent talking to? So like I, I know it's Germany and I think several other European countries have some data sovereignty laws which are pretty pretty solid. Like they don't want data leaving unless it has to. Like what if I exfiltrate data for the purposes of filtering? <laughs> you know, like it never really makes it to the other country for whatever, but like if there's not a if there's not a colo or a pop in Germany and I'm crossing a border, like it's a really sticky question. Like all of these data privacy and, and data sovereignty laws, I think that there's gonna be Leeway. Uh, networking is not boring. It's not boring. As well as um, government. We, we, of course, we, we just do making challenges more difficult for ourselves. I mean, I believe in this stuff, right? Like, I believe devices. in privacy. Like, um, like Tony said, it's not that we don't believe in privacy. Struggle with I actually and, think that Tony's a little bit wrong. I think a lot of people that is addressed by those laws. But there are at least an interesting counter trend. Because, I mean, we saw for the longest time, but for the places that do give the BYOD, that was a trend that everyone was talking about forever and but the how to idea this from a security perspective our, our devices come together i mean i have one phone how much can you know do you know what i'm saying like i don't carry two phones doing. it has both you know, my personal and my business stuff on there like in motion but rest, like in like when we start talking about those types of regulations that type gives it gives a different level of liability both to me and my company that's something you have to think about yeah all right so we've talked in the abstract a lot um and so when i say in the abstract we've talked about some of the problems some of the challenges some of the architectures we've kind of like kind of talked around this from all different sides um what what are the takeaways how does someone say okay how do i how do i get into an, a either knowing more about zero trust for myself so we we've inspired them and they want to go learn it or they want to go figure it out where do they go um or if they want to start thinking about like what does steps towards getting there look like you guys have any thoughts I always well, ask the easy questions. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we've, talked about, we've, we've talked about the Beyond Court paper several times. Um, That's definitely some place to look. Um, as with anything when we're talking about security or anything that's architectural related, a single source is not sufficient. Um, so NIST has published some things as well, um, which Steve has put in the show notes. 
a link to. So Jordan will probably include that on the mm-hmm. sure. Website. That'll be on the website. I have a bunch of links here. So if you are looking for resources, like things <laughs> to read, everything, and it's Steve has provided a bunch in here. So I will make sure that all of these things with brief descriptions end up at the website networkcollector.com on the show page. So. Right. So, so there's some, I left some links in there and these are, I think these are good, like, uh, they're, they're touch point documents that I think will kind of, I think the, the kinder bag documents are good for like a historical perspective. I think beyond corp made some, some assertions that got a lot of people's attention, you know, like throw the firewall away, which was, was a really good way to kind of get everyone fired up and talking about it, which I think is actually good in the long run. And then the, the zero trust networks book is a phenomenal book very well worth the read but really that that nist special publication is is just a gem it just recently came out and it synthesizes all the information that you'll find in a lot of these other sources and when you read it you can tell the authors really thought about these things for a long time and thought through it and it's, it's a great document in terms of uh takeaways you know i, I think there's i i think you know i could boil it down to three things because three things are easy to remember one is get healthy start with what you got right? Focus. You're going to have components that are always going to matter. Your user database, your asset inventory. Do you have a PKI? Is your PKI healthy? Is it, does it look good? Can you actually use it for things? You know, and then, you know, look at the simple stuff. Like if you're not doing MFA for your VPN today, stop listening to this podcast and go fix that. <laughs> that, would be, that, would, that would be an example, right? And, and then the last thing, and this is something that I really preach to the point of just really annoying my customers, which is, you know, I, I won't sell a switch without asking them about how they're secure, you know, what the, what's the security aspect of your design? You should not think of security as a layer that you add on to your speeds and fees. You really should be integral to how you're designing your network to start with. That all sounds good. <laughs> and, and that that point is actually the the whole just behind zero trust too is that security isn't an afterthought it's something yeah, it's that not a needs second to, class it's got to be it, first class it needs to be part of the architecture from day one so all right well guys i think this is a good place to wrap it up um this was a great conversation i think probably the first of many about zero trust on network collective i think we're going to keep exploring this as we go along because i think that we've really only scratched the surface uh, about what's there. I think that we could probably spend time talking about each of those models and, and you know, the pros, cons and what you should do and, and, and hints and tricks and those types of things. But only so much time in one show. So I think we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, before we go, we'd love to give an opportunity for people to share where they might be found online. So if someone disagrees with you or just really loves the fact that, you know, Big Honk and Firewall was put into the show notes and <laughs> wants to tell you, um, where, where can we find you? Daryl, we'll start with you. Where are you online? Uh, so easiest way to get a hold of me is probably through Twitter or LinkedIn, um, Daryl Clute, the username on both. Um, if you're not already a, a network collective member, I'm also there and oh, fairly okay. active Darryl there. giving me the plug. I don't even have to jump in and give the plug. So network collective membership, <laughs> yes, Daryl is, is there and active on the, <laughs> on the Slack, which is, uh, which is awesome. Uh, <laughs> thanks Daryl. Steve, where, where can people find you? Uh, on the Twitter machine, so I'm I'm dense I'm dense mode with a zero. Dense mode with a zero. There's only one O, so it's not easy or it's not hard to mess that up. Or not easy nope. to mess that one up. Uh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anywhere else? You, 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 Twitter's the best place to find you. Twitter's a 
Twitter's where I'm most active. All right, perfect. All, yep. All right, Tony, how about you? You have like a new blog or something. You've been like moving yes. to, to, you, to it, the whole trendy, you know, non-dynamic. Yeah, I'm trying to educate myself a little bit. I'm <laughs> diving into like, uh, can I coin a new term? Like website as code? <laughs> Is that the, new? The, Having websites <laughs> always been code? Mine is now code. <laughs> <laughs> your actually, code. Ac- actually, it's your own code. Uh, that's a, that's exactly it. Is my blog is actually codeless for me, actually, and and that's that's really what it is. No, <laughs> it's true. I I started a new blog. Um, uh, I I'm sort of uh, leaving the Blogspot website to to collect dust, and I uh, and I'm hosting it here on GitHub Pages. So I'm showipinterfacebrief.github.io, and there um, I got a nice static page generator. I write everything in Markdown, and it and it publishes it automatically. It's a it's a pretty good flow for me. And I'm on Twitter. I'm show IP interface brief, and um, yeah, that's everything. But yeah, that the new blog is is going to be more more my look forward, where my last blog was my look back. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Big honking firewall. Big honking firewall. All <laughs> right. Uh, I'm probably easiest place to find me is on Twitter at BC Jordo, but I'm everywhere. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Just look for my name, Jordan Martin. Um, and if you like this, there's a lot more like it. So the place you want to go if you like this episode is networkcollective.com. It's that simple, networkcollective.com. If you liked it, uh, there's a lot more episodes there. Uh, if you want to come hang out with Daryl and myself and Tony, and maybe we can convince Steve here soon enough to become a member. But uh, all of our members hang out in the Slack. It's super cheap. It's like, I think it's five bucks a month. It's like it's really not expensive uh, with a discount if you buy for a year. So we'd love to uh, encourage you to, to help us out by being a member and, and coming and hanging out with us there on the Slack as well. Um, if you want to get these episodes, I mean, these things will always be free and available to you. So you just go pull them down. You can either find all the places where we're at at networkcollective.com or you can go find us. We're on iTunes. We're on Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, all the regular spots. Um, just go search for Network Collective and we're pretty easy to find. Uh, we're also on social media, like that's the podcast itself, at NetCollectivePC on Twitter. We're Network Collective Podcast, both on uh, Facebook and on LinkedIn. So come find us and follow us there and you'll get all kinds of new stuff. Uh, we're talking about some exciting new things with new formats and some other things that are coming up soon. So, you know, stay tuned. <laughs> stay tuned. Uh, there's some some fun stuff coming uh, in the very near future. So I think that about wraps it up. Uh, thank you all for coming on to, to talk. Thank you for everyone who listened to the show. And we'll see everyone next time. Big Hulk and Firewall. <laughs>